Hi, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj. And on this podcast, we're going to talk about some deep stuff. I'm here to tell you that you're amazing. And often, the only person who can't see that is you. No matter who you are, what you do, or where you're from, there's greatness in you. Let's talk about it. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj, and welcome to the Transformation Starts Today podcast, where I interview leaders, champions, and high performers from all walks of life as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned along the way, and empowering perspectives to help you create an extraordinary life without regret, starting today. Today we have with us my friend and co-author on our book, Leaders with a Heart, Mr. Tucker Stein. Tucker Stein helps conscious leaders turn their personal stories into purpose-driven brands so they can accelerate human impact. He is a brand architect, leadership coach, and public speaker with 25 plus years in building personal and professional brands, advising nonprofits and coaching heart-centered speakers, conscious-driven businesses, and thought leaders through impact storytelling. He is a mentor and catalyst for generational movements that ignite societal change through the power of voice, including advocating, advocating for prison reform and at-risk youth. He has helped 250 plus thought leaders take the stage, launch businesses, and share global ideas for change, including the highly sought after TED platform. His clients have been featured on TED, Goldcast, Upworthy, The Today Show, The Sundance Film Festival, and hundreds of podcasts, resulting in 100 million views, with one goal, to share a courageous voice and a powerful seat at the global table of conversation, every opportunity they can. Tucker, it is an honor to have you on the show with us. Welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm great. How about you? I'm having a beautiful morning. Had a couple calls with some good friends. It's, it's, I was telling one of them, you know, it's we're filming this right now, early November. I'm in you know Northeast in New York, and it's like 68 degrees right now. <laughs> so I'm outside of the sun. Okay. I'm, well, I'm in San Diego, and we just had our first rainstorm, and it's only 61. So you you beat us. <laughs> <laughs> one of the few times that happens in November. Right. <laughs> and so I'd love to dive right in. And for my listeners who don't yet know you, they haven't heard your story. I like to think of it as each of us is the hero of our own story. Mm. There's challenges and setbacks that we've overcome. There's lessons we've learned along the way. And there's a relatability. There's a humanness that is often missed. And, you know, you being kind of, you know, the, the genie of storytelling, <laughs> there's a humanness that's often missed in people when they share, because they kind of just share the highlights. And if you could yeah. just share with us your journey from where you were to where you are now and why you do what you do today, that would be wonderful. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I was um, I was raised in California, uh, Southern California, uh, always had a love for the outdoors, um, but I definitely knew growing up as a child that I had an anxious bone in my body, um, always not quite settled, that sort of thing. Uh, very social, but often, um, you know, very anxious. Didn't think much of it at the time. Uh, fast forward um, years ahead, uh, I picked a career in marketing and advertising, branding, was there for many years, uh, started off in the agency world. So high stress, high pace, low reward. Uh, you can kind of see where this is going. Uh, but I love the creative side of business. And uh, I found my passion in helping uh, brands and companies and you know products and services launch themselves and, and find a place in, in American society. But uh, about 15 years into that, I hit a wall. 
I had a ceiling on on, on pay grade, uh, the way I could progress, you know, uh, professionally. Uh, I wasn't challenging myself anymore, but I was complacent. And I fell into that space of complacency. Um, at the time, this would have been around the age of 40. Married, two amazing kids, awesome family life. Everything was great. Um, but I started to hit that anxious, you know, that anxious bone. And the anxiety started to really, really come up. And I started reflecting back on, you know, my younger years and realizing, oh, my gosh, this is something that was way more severe than I thought it was. But, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, there's no such thing as anxiety. It was just, oh, you're nervous. You're too nervous. Um, and that sort of thing. But I, I noticed um, after time that I really started getting more into my fear mode. And, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm a fear of failure. And, you know, I can't grow my career. I'm not going to make enough money for my kids to go to college. And I started going into this whirlwind of fear. And um, I was able to hide it on the outside. But on the inside, I was really, really damaged. Um, I started getting more and more empty, isolating, uh, drinking a lot. Um, and it just got to a space where I couldn't even recognize myself anymore. Um, didn't know what to do with my life. At the age of 40, it's like, well, what do you do now? Um, I've only had a career in what I known to be in marketing and branding and advertising. Um, I realized it wasn't, you know, the pay grade that I saw my doctor friends, lawyer friends, um, all getting. Um, and I was burnt out at 40 and thinking, I'm done. What am I supposed to do? So um, I went through a really, really tough period for a few months. Um, a lot of drinking, a lot of isolation. Uh, at some point in my life, realized that I knew something needed to change, but my body was telling me I didn't know how to do it. And it was getting darker and darker. And finally got to a point where I was living in a hotel for the most part and kind of away from the family. And um, I got a text one evening from my son through my wife's phone. And those, those words saved my life. And it just said, daddy, when are you coming home? And it was then and there that I made a switch and realized, um, looked in the mirror and I said, the only thing that I have to change is everything. And I thought, this has got to be day one. And at that point, I recognized it was either, okay, this is my time. God had with me what he would, you know, at the age of 40, I've lived my life. Uh, you know, maybe I need to resign to the fact that it's, this is what it is. And I made a change. And for the first time in 40 years, I asked for help. I raised my hand, put myself into treatment, completely tried to rebuild my brain. Um, you know, they say after, you know, mistreating your brain, it takes about nine, nine months to rewire. Definitely took nine months to rewire. And at that time, I was really going through my own um, career audit. Like, okay, well, if, if this got you to here, what's going to take you from here to here? I love people. I always love helping people. And I remember back in college when you had to pick a career, it was architecture, business, and psychology. And I ended up in, in the, um, the communication marketing side of things. Um, but I knew I loved working with people. So I said, you know what? I'm 40. I'm going to start pursuing my passion. I'm giving myself permission to go do this. And I started connecting with the people around me and realizing uh, I love helping people brand themselves. So I took everything I learned from branding products and services. And I thought, well, how can I translate that into helping people brand themselves and market themselves for impact? Uh, I had joined uh, TEDx. My mentor in the industry had created TEDx San Diego. I joined the, the organizing team and I did that for years. And I got to see people go up on stage for the first time, watching that light bulb go off when they had this idea that they're able to share with the world. I'm like, okay, 
passion. Hello, it's staring at you right in the face, Tucker. What are you going to do with it? So then that little fear, you know, that sits right here goes, well, you don't have any experience. How are you going to do that? And then the other one over here is like, no, you just need to do it and suck it up and do it. So I took the giant leap of faith. I started a consulting business with no clients. So maybe it's not really a business until you don't have a client yet. <laughs> but I ended up connecting with the people around me and said, what do you want to do? And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to help people figure out a way to market and brand themselves. Oh, you should meet, meet with this person, this person. And I started surrounding my people, surrounding myself with people that lifted up. Um, I never had that before. I always felt like I had to lift others up. Um, and it was then and there that I realized, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to help people figure out how to get their message out to the world. Started with the TEDx stage, um, started a, a personal brand development firm, brand architecture, helping leaders, entrepreneurs, burnt out corporate executives um, that realized, especially coming out of COVID, that there was so much more that they wanted to give. They just didn't know how to do it. Ring a bell? Ah, because <laughs> that's exactly what I was going through. So I took all that experience of learning what that meant and started to apply it to other individuals. Um, you know, that heart-centered, purpose-driven kind of leadership. And it just kind of skyrocketed from there. Um, working with people, people referring, um, getting more speaking opportunities to connect with people, realizing there was a market out there for more heart-centered, more purpose-driven work that wasn't getting done. Um, and I started working more with entrepreneurs and burnt corporate execs that just wanted something new, especially coming out of COVID. Um, so I spend my days, um, you know, on Zoom. In fact, 99% of the people that I work with, I've never even met before um, in person. So everything's through Zoom. But when we do meet, it's the most amazing experience. But I, I found a passion in, you know, allowing people to kind of set aside um, the typical corporate role or the skill set that they have or the kind of the day-to-day -day activities and really hone in on what they want to do more on the inside. So at the end of the day, um, I'm helping people, as you said in, in, in the bio, helping people turn their stories into more purposeful business and seeing where that goes. So that's what kind of led me to, to you through a mutual friend, Payman. And I just, I love talking about it. And it's just something that, you know, I get to finally wake up every day. I'm now turning 48. So eight years later from the darkest point of my life, I'm now at my brightest. And uh, I've got my family really healthy again. Relationships are great. And uh, I get to share that. And, you know, my big thing is my comeback is my greatest give back. And yeah. if I can do that yeah. for others, then then I've done I've done my job. So I that's it in a nutshell. I love that so much, Tucker. First of all, just congratulations on your transformation. So, so well done. And something that you shared that I hope everyone who's listening, either you're experiencing some variation of what Tucker described in his journey or maybe you have been there, or maybe it's coming, maybe because of the way you've been living your life up until this point. But either way, notice there he was in that moment in that, he said hotel room, right? Or was it motel? Yeah. Hotel. hotel. Yeah. Well, there, uh, there, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so there he was in that room. A place I didn't want to be living. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So there he was in that room and he gets that message, you know, dad, daddy, when are you coming home? And I love, you know, when you say the only thing that had to change was everything. And then, you know, for some people, depending on how they view it, they can see that as overwhelming. It's like, it's too much. But then you said, today was day one. And it reminded me of this old expression, one day or day one. Coming from that space of yep. so often we come from the one day 
one day I'll make that change. One day I'll finally do that thing that I know I probably should be doing. But the thing is, when you look at the calendar, one day isn't on there. And so one day never happens. And so, but when you say day one, no matter, even if everything has to change, you can't change everything at once. You can only change one thing at a time. And when can you begin it right now? And so it's like, you know, you did that. And I love that you said, you know, from that darkest moment, eight years later, here you are. Obviously it's a spiral that's always, you know, you were always working on it and you're dancing in the light right now. And that's so beautiful. December 14th, 2015. That was, that was day one. Mm. Can you, can you open up a little bit more and speak up about my comeback is my greatest give back. I really love that. And can you just share like, what does that mean to you and how can people who are listening relate to that in their own life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I was in that, that generation where we, you know, as, as a Gen Xer, we didn't talk about mental health. We didn't talk about those personal things. And it was really all about, you know, career, career, career. And so I think for a lot of the time, I buried a lot of that emotional intelligence, um, which quite frankly, I didn't have any of. Um, it's one thing I discovered in the process was, you know, the fact that we go through our life with all of these things that were taught, you know, traditional education here in the States, we're never taught how to feel. We're never taught how to regulate our emotions and that sort of thing. So I realized at the age of 40, I was like this immature man, you know, left with his emotions. And that was about it. And that was a really hard place to be in. Um, I think what I mean by the comeback and the give back, um, the first thing that I learned when I got healthy again was the only way you can keep what you have is to give it away. I never understood that at all. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I just got myself back. Now you want to give myself away. That was my problem in the beginning. I was a people pleaser. I was giving too much of myself. Um, but the answer is it's it's the giving away is sometimes just the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the hand raising. Um, I spent a lot of time with men's health and development um, in my early years of, of getting sober and changing my life because it was so toxic with a lot of them. Um, they didn't know how to get out of it. Um, so sometimes even just having a conversation unknowingly to me was a voice of permission for that person then to say, okay, me too. I get that. I totally understand it. And having those conversations that we don't have with our loved ones that we don't have um, with anyone for that matter. So part of it was just allowing me in certain areas when I got comfortable with finally saying, you know, what it is that I'm, I'm, you know, been up to, it was this, oh, thank God. Thank God someone else is having this problem because, you know, we all think that we're unique um, in the sense that nobody else is feeling this. Um, so I realized that um, in order as other people were giving to me, that was my impetus to kind of move forward. I realized that I had to do the same for others. Mm-hmm. Um, and my comeback became better as I started to give back more to the community um, through work, helping other people through their problems, um, allowing people that were kind of feeling unheard and unseen to be seen and to be heard. Um, it was somewhat unknowingly that I went through this process. And I don't think I truly realized that I was giving back until about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started to trace and look at the things that I was engaging in and realizing the things that were coming to me and I was engaging with were all about sharing failure my entire life i thought failure was the ultimate sign of weakness and that that was something that you never spoke about um and now realizing that 
those moments of failure were my greatest lessons. Um, and I think one thing I'll add to that is, you know, my parents' generation, again, very, very quiet on all this stuff. And I always grew up thinking my dad was perfect, right? No failure, nothing. It was like this. It wasn't until that I went through my ordeal that my dad finally said to me, and I'll never forget this. He goes, I've never told you about my failures. And I think it's time that I do. And it was one of the most powerful conversations because at that point I realized, okay, if I'm failing as a father, then I've completely broken the, the golden, you know, the, the golden legacy of being the best father in the world. And when I heard that, that gave me permission to be a perfect failure. It gave me a reason to talk to my son about, Hey, this is what I'm going through. And now my 17 year old son is about to go off to college I think he's more prepared than anything to move forward. That's a give back, right? He is now emotionally, well, let me, I won't go too far, emotionally regulated to the point of a 17 year old boy can be, but he understands where mistakes can be actual triumphs. Um, that sometimes you have to go from point A to point B in order to get to point C. And, and that I feel like is that's legacy, right? That's being able to give back in a way that's not monetary, but it's, it's time and it's talent. And um, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to explain it is to, to realize that you're in a space of being able to give more than you are to receive. And then in the end that ends up getting, you know, you get to receive more. So it's a, it's a pretty cool spiritual kind of equation that's sometimes hard for people to understand until you actually go through it, but it's pretty powerful when you do. Yeah. I love, I love that answer. You know, it reminds me that so often there are, you might have talked about emotional intelligence and a generation of people that grew up really not sharing their emotions and we want to be yeah. perceived in a certain way. And I find that many people in their mind, they've got this association that vulnerability equals weakness or let's say failure mm -hmm. equals weakness or like, um, you know, loser, whatever kind of thing that they're creating in their head, the connection. But the thing is, like you mentioned, we go from point A to point B to get to C. And the thing is, we all have different points that we're headed for, but the process is the same. There's things that you're competent in now that you know how to do, and there's things that you don't. And as you go into your journey further and you progress, you're going to get into the uncharted territory. You're getting into the territory where you don't know what to do, how to be, all these kind of things. And so you experience what you might call failure, mistakes, falling on your face, whatever it is. Yeah. And if you think that that is something to be ashamed of, if you think it's something to hide, then you put out this kind of persona, which, which comes from the word mask. You put out this persona to the world that you want to be perceived as quote unquote perfect. The mm -hmm. challenge with that is you're actually shooting yourself in the foot because you think that by looking perfect, that how that's somehow going to make people like you more, but it actually makes you less relatable because everybody knows in their own mind that well, I, I make my mistakes all the time and I've got my failures and I, I've got my fears and my insecurities and I'm scared about scared about A, B, and C. And here's this person who doesn't appear to have any of that. And so not only does it not make you relatable, it actually can make them feel bad because they start to feel like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm all alone. Exactly. Like, like they the internalize example, it. Yeah. Yeah, the example you <laughs> gave with your father. If I think that all these men in the world are like the greatest fathers and I think, well, I got a long way to go and I have a kid and all of a sudden I think that I must be a really horrible father. 
But like your dad said, I have a lot of failures. I just haven't told you about them. And the moment somebody opens up, it's like everyone listening, if you've had moments where maybe you were having dinner with a friend or you were hanging out with a sibling or a parent or whatever it was, and you had a conversation like Tucker just alluded to with his father, where one of you just opened up and you went deeper than you usually go, or maybe that you've ever gone before with that person. And it creates this intimacy. It creates this container of like, there's a depth to that that's so beautiful. And there's a very humanness in there. There's a relatability. And what I like to share with my clients, there's this just like me type of factor where you look at the other person and regardless of their beliefs or their politics or religion or anything, you can go, oh, just like me. They're experiencing that. I experienced that. I've gone through that before. And it makes this, it's like it it creates this human connection. So that was the first thing that I wanted to comment on based on what you shared. And the second thing, And the second thing is this idea of that which you want most, give it away. You know, I often tell people, give what you most want to receive and you show yourself that you already have it. And so one example of that is, let's just say, big picture, you want more love in your life. Well, using that little framework, give it away. And what I mean by that is you can't give what you don't have. So when you give away that love, in order to do that, you must first flood yourself with that love. You must first feel that love and fill it up in you in order to give it. And then when you give it to that person, you don't have any less of it because it's an infinite supply. This applies to money as well. One thing I've shared, I believe on the podcast is the word revenue. The Latin of that is revenire. And that means the return flow. And so in order for the flow to return to you, it must first go out of you. Otherwise, it can't return. Think of it like currency. There's a back and a forth, an ebb and a flow. If you try to like um, dam it up where nothing leaves you, you're also damming up that which comes to you. And when people say, well, if I want more money, how is giving it away going to help? Because first, keep in, let's get clear on what is it you actually want. Because if you say, I want more money. If I gave you $5 billion, but I said you couldn't spend it, are you happy with that? And it's like, no, because you don't actually want the money. The money is the means to an end. There's something else that you want that you're hoping the money will give you. But for most people, it's not even what they think they can buy with the money because that's also a means to an end because what they're ultimately chasing is a feeling. And the thing is that feeling is available to you right now, like all feelings are, and you have that infinite amount of them. And so that interesting thing that I might give money to charity and by giving that money and seeing the impact that that money's having in other people's lives, I might get flooded with this good feeling of gratitude and pride and like loving myself. And that was ultimately like the best thing my money could have bought me. And I got it by giving it away. Yeah. So it's amazing how that can happen. (laughs) I was going to add that this it's, and it's not the um, companion to giving away is letting go. Right. And I think one of the things that was hard at the beginning, because you know, you think, okay, at 40, I have all these established relationships, whatever it is. Hafiz, which who's an amazing poet, once said, you know, the words that you speak become the house that you live in. Mm. And starting to notice everybody around us, and even my wife and I had this conversation, learning the power of setting boundaries, learning the power of saying no, and realizing that maybe the relationships that you have in your life are part of the toxicity that added to things that weren't working. I will tell you to this day, Jamil, that 90% 
of the relationships of the people that I have today outside of family are within the last seven years of my life that I made a change. A lot of those old relationships gone and realizing mourning that loss and realizing they weren't mourning it with you was like, ah, oh, aha, they weren't really there to begin with for the right reasons. So allowing things that are around us that we feel like we have to keep around us because they've always been there, shedding that, what I call the mental weight and that weight, that mental weight loss is huge and starting over even with relationships made a huge difference. Repairing the ones that you have that matter the most, like wife, kids, you know, parents, family, that sort of thing. But realizing there was probably quite a bit of toxicity in other relationships that didn't belong there. So the idea of giving away is also letting go on a certain certain number of things. And I always say that that letting go is actually letting in more. Um, and that's that's the cool part is watching everything else that shows up for you. Because you always say that, you, you know, the, the moment that you stop searching is the moment something starts to find you, right? And I was searching and searching and searching. I'm like, ah, why is this not working? Stop. Follow what you love. Connect with who you love. Surround yourself with you know who you love, and that will start to come. And all of a sudden, doors are opening, right? And it's like I didn't ask for them, but they're opening. Um, and I never thought that you know I could, at the age of forty, completely reinvent and start a business and be able to have you know financial freedom, uh, freedom to be that dad, the soccer dad, right? To be at school events, um, all of that stuff that I always heard that entrepreneurs were you know you'll never see them again. And all they're in it is for the money and the, you know, the fame. And it's like, I don't, I don't know what kind of entrepreneur you're working with, but I realized that, that there was a way to create abundance without somebody else having to tell you how to do it. Um, because I always lived under the expectations of others. And that was detrimental to my health. Um, and recreating those healthy boundaries was another part of, of um, restructuring and, and rebuilding. Oh yeah. You know, it's interesting. You talk about boundaries. Boundaries is something that's been a topic that comes up so often with my clients in the last three weeks or so that's been popping up a lot. Just people who are very successful in so many areas of their life, but the areas of their life where they're really struggling in a large part, it's because they're allowing everyone else to just pull from them without having any boundaries. And so their time isn't being protected and there's not like people call it like work-life balance. Like there's no separation where when they're with their family, there's other people trying to get their attention and they're not enforcing those boundaries and it's creating a lot of challenges in their life. And what you said about letting go is letting in. I love that. I think that's so mm -hmm. profound and I hope everyone goes, go back and re-listen to that like minute or so that Tucker was sharing that was, that was spot on. That was so perfect. That, that came from a, I do a lot of meditative walks now. Um, that was part of my relieving my anxiety. Um, and I was on a hike here in the local mountains in San Diego. And I was doing a, a basically a letting go. I was listening to a letting go meditation. And then I looked in and, and I literally was looking at this incredible view. And I said, take it all in. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Wow. If I let go of all of this stuff, I get all of this stuff in return. Um, and that's where I've just been coming. These little mantras just remind me of where I where I am and where I could have been. Um, and the other thing that I always say is I keep my journal um, for my first 90 days of getting sober. Mm -hmm. And I go back every year on the, on my, uh, I, I don't call it my sobriety date. I call it my, re my release date from my emotional prison. And I read it again. And I remind myself of where I was so that I know why I'm keeping it. Why am I giving this away? Because I don't want to go back to that. 
Um, and I always say the blessing of those, the, that blessing in disguise is I know now what I don't want to be. Um, and I think a lot of us go through life always thinking, I don't know if I am what I want to be. But when I know what I don't want to be, gave me the clarity of realizing what I really want it to be. So that's what I always say, too, is that, you know, look at that dark side. Um, you know, go into the dark because somewhere when you shine the light on it, something new, you know, shows up. So I always remind myself of where I was because otherwise, you know, again, it kind of shows that trajectory of the comeback. Um, yeah. I just thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, man. There's an expression who you're being, I'm paraphrasing this, but who you're, who you're being speaks so loudly. I can't hear what you say mm. and who you've been being in our conversation so far I think is inspiring so many people, myself included. And I think that it is exactly what some people need to hear right now. So thank you so much for showing up the way you do. Oh, I know. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it because I realize the more that I do this, the better I feel. I mean, I, I, whoever would have thought, oh yeah, go, hey, Tucker, share your deepest, darkest, biggest failures. You're going to feel great. <laughs> like, who, who says that, right? And now I'm like, oh, I can't wait to share my deepest, darkest secrets because I'm going to feel great. Um, yeah. It doesn't make sense, but somehow it does. And uh, um, I'm hoping that just being able to share that gives someone, you know, that permissive voice to to do it, you know, do it for themselves. Um, yeah. And, and with that, you know, this is a good segue. So in your experience, given the work that you do with people, what have you found holds people back? from sharing their stories and creating the impact they're capable of creating in the world? What are some of those kind of greatest hits that you hear over and over again? <laughs> Three words, fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. The number one, I, I can't remember William James, or I think his name is the number one thing that every human craves is to feel appreciated. And that moment that we start to show off something that's dark or um, maybe um, shameful or, or, or guilt-ridden or whatever it is, the, the number one thing we go to is, you know, we make decisions out of love or fear, but that fear takes over and it's rejection, right? If I say something, I'm not going to be received and I lose, right? Um, what they don't see is that maybe by sharing that you're actually rejecting yourself by not giving yourself the opportunity to do that. So instead of rejecting, being rejected by others, you're actually reject, rejecting yourself. So I would say that's the number one thing that holds people back. And I always start a conversation once we get into what I call the ideation part. I always say, start with, uh, tell me a story about your failures. And there's like this blank stare on their face. Well, I thought I was here to feel better. You know, I thought I was here <laughs> to work on. I said, start with a failure. Right. And we get into the failure that that shows that sign right off the bat that they have the ability to be vulnerable and that they can show that they can be vulnerable. Then they're going to be able to really focus more on on doing great work. And then I move into, OK, what are the lessons learned from the failure? And then what does it take to take a courageous step to tell a story that's going to to, you know, to benefit from that? So it's again, I always start with the dark. Um, you know, it's uh, there's there's that phrase. Um, um always start in the dark because negatives can't be developed in the light. Yeah. Something like that. There's something, I know there's something around that. Um, <laughs> but I always start the dark, you know, I always start, you know, it's, you know, getting a little bit darker than you want, but the moment they can feel comfortable with failures, 
it opens up, I swear to God, an entirely different attitude, uh, point of view, perspective, energy. It just changes everything because um, they're used to talking about the highs. Um, no one really wants to sit there and crave about talking about lows. Um, so I would say that's the biggest thing. It's the rejection factor. Mm. And so if somebody is listening right now and they're strongly considering sharing their story, they're on the fence, but they're hesitating. And what would be that message you have for them? Start with one person and share what's holding you back. Share something that maybe what's holding us back usually is the secrets that we keep or the things that we struggle with that we're keeping to ourselves. Start with a, start with a failure, share it with someone. Um, the best conversation, like I said, that I've ever had with my dad was the moment he finally shared with me his failures. Changed our relationship dramatically. And now I wouldn't have had it, you know, any other way. Um, the ability to connect, we, we often connect more as humans in pain than we do in joy to a certain degree in terms of creating trust, right? We often create trust in those dark moments that bring about more light. So when you can create those trusted moments and you feel like you can connect with someone and it feels like that release of, okay, I can get it off my chest. That's when you're starting to feel ready to be, you know, more in that space of telling your story. Um, I find people that only tell the, the highs of their story doesn't, it doesn't land with people. Um, they can't relate to it, um, but they can relate to the lows. Um, so if you can build that trust off of the lows and then grow from there, that's what has made the most powerful, when I say personal platform, the ability for people to tell their stories mm -hmm. is that they can start at the at ground zero. Because um, you, if you start here, there's no place to fall, right? But if you can start down where you're falling and watch yourself give back, I mean, there's that comeback again, right? There's that comeback that becomes the, the greatest give back. So if you don't understand the hero's journey, if you don't understand your comeback story, then your story may not land. Um, and I've had people where I've had to say, it's not landing because you're not being honest enough. Mm -hmm. And it's not about airing the dirty laundry. It's not about here are all these skeletons. It's about finding the things that wherever you're most passionate about something in your past is driven you to that. So what is that that's allowing you to follow this passion? There's something that triggered that kind of, you know, innate sense of wanting to do something different. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's typically where I start. Yeah, no, it answers it perfectly. And I love that you said you start, let's say, from the down like or, or the low, let's say, and then you might have a high, but then there's a fall, like a fall from grace in a sense. In the hero's journey, it's like if you look at like a yeah. clock it's around that 6 p.m. where you're fighting the bad guy and you're losing. <laughs> and it's like and then you have the return to grace kind of perspective. And like you said, people who they may not resonate or relate to the high part of your journey, but they can relate to the low part. And once they connect to that low part and then they hear your story about how you built out of that, it can help elevate them and go, well, maybe that's possible for me too. And that is so, yeah. you know, that's kind of an aspect of inspiring. I think like you know, inspire comes from- inspire. The high points. Yeah. I was just gonna say the high points often result in envy and the low points often result in trust and connection. So I always say, you know, if you start with trust and connection, then by the time you get to a high, they champion the high, right? Instead of being envious of the high, they champion the high because they understand where the low has been. Mm -hmm. 
And yes, something that you were mentioning earlier, you know, I said kind of what holds people back and you said three words, fear of rejection. And I think, you know, fear of rejection is typically one of the more prevalent fears that seem to be going around in society. And just as a possibility for everyone who's with us today, think about this, you know, what is rejection? And when you really be with it, rejection is a concept. Rejection is an idea. It is not real in and of itself. Rejection is the story that you make up about what my no means. And when you realize that my no just means no, yeah, I'm not, not interested. My no doesn't mean that you're not good enough and you're never going to amount to anything and that your mom was right <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. None of that is what it means. But if you make that up and you believe it, you take it personally and then you think something's wrong with you. Yeah. Just like you're free to say yes and you're free to say no and you want that freedom for yourself to be able to say no when something's not right for you. Grant everybody else that that ability as well, that they can say yes and they can say no, and you're not going to feel bad about it. And when you divorce yourself from the story of what no means, and you just say no means no, and yes means yes, and that's it. It's incredible how, you know, one of my mentors talks about, someone said to him, how do you deal with rejection? And he said, I don't. I don't get rejected because I can't get rejected unless I allow myself to be rejected. Yeah. Rejection's a two-way thing. You said yeah. no, I made it mean something. But if I don't make it mean something, there's no rejection. There's just you said no. Yeah. And you know, I think that people can really be with that. Look at your life right now and look at all the places where you feel that you were rejected. And this is like where the distinction is. You can't be rejected, but you can feel rejected. And if yes. you feel rejected, it's because of that story. But you're forgetting that part. You're thinking it's because, you're not forgetting, you're overlooking that part. You're thinking it's okay. because the other person... But when you can use this framework and bring some awareness to what's the story I'm telling myself about what their no meant, and then kind of have fun with it. And you realize how ridiculous that story usually is, that you're giving them a whole lot more power than they actually have. And you're disempowering yourself, you know, I almost said far more than you need to, but you don't need to disempower yourself at all. But you're disempowering yourself and bringing yourself down to a level that's so far below you. Yeah, that, you know, there's no reason to be doing that. Well, it goes back to, you know, yeah, you're right. It's the false narratives that you create and you're catastrophizing things that haven't even happened back to Hafiz, the words you speak become the house you live in. Then you're going to, you're going to live in a house full of fear, rejection, false narratives, the imposter, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, no, that, that I, I like that, you know, I, I don't, um, say no to rejection. Okay. <laughs> I like yeah. that. <laughs> so something in your, in the chapter of our book, in your chapter, there's a story that you shared that I found deeply moving, inspiring. And it's the experience you had at that TEDx event, the Donovan Correctional Facility. And I think there's such a beautiful, many beautiful learning lessons in there. Can you share with us, for anyone who hasn't read that chapter, they don't know the story, what that was like for you, yeah. what it was like going into it, what it was like during, and then what you took from it after. Yeah. So having spent many years in the in the TEDx space, um, one of my excuse me for saying partners in crime <laughs> decided <laughs> that they wanted to explore TEDx inside prison. And it was such a foreign concept. There had only been one other one done. Um, I think it was at a women's prison in Arizona or New Mexico. Um, but it's, you know, it's hard to get that approved, obviously with the um, state correctional um, department, but they welcomed it. 
And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, you're, um, this is really cool. It wasn't a bucket list item, but now it is. And so it, it came to the event and all this planning and this and that. In my mind, I think we all think about when you go to visit prison, you see in the movies or whatever it is, here's the big glass thing. And, you know, you know visitors over here, you know, inmates over here. And how is this all going to work? But I went through a very, very intensive clearance process, um, which seemed a little odd. But it wasn't odd the day of when I realized that we weren't behind glass doors. We were literally walking onto a high security yard with 1400 men um, that have been there for definitely some dark reasons um, that I just went, oh my God, what the hell did I just sign myself up for? Um, and I remember the moment that, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you two quick things. Um, the first story was when a, a gentleman named Shaky um, came up to me as an inmate. It's been there for years. Uh, they call him Shaky. They have a lot of nicknames, but, you know, he's his right hand shakes when he's, you know, shaking hands. So he shook my hand. He said, welcome to my home. Um, and I said, you know, thank you for having me. Didn't exactly know how to respond to that. And he said the one thing and I asked, I don't remember how it came up, but he said the one thing that I've learned from prison, the moment that you step inside these walls, behind these walls, they strip you of everything, which is a literal stripping of everything and they fill you with nothing so you talk about rehabilitation how do you expect rehabilitation to happen with nothing um so what i loved about that experience was we had the ability to fill them with something other than hate other than crime other than violence whatever that might look like mm -hmm. um, and when you're sitting there and you're having conversations with inmates where you're talking about conflict resolution through storytelling. You're talking about denouncing gangs. You're talking about giving up drugs and alcohol just by telling a story where the number one thing you don't do in prison is be vulnerable. It was an incredibly powerful experience. So I had an opportunity. I spent like, gosh, between 250, 300 hours within that prison, having worked with um, the youngest convicted murderer in the state of California. He was 14 at the time. Um, by the time I got to work with him, he was 18 or 19. Um, and it was the first time he'd ever really talked about his own story in public. Um, and uh, I remember several months into it, maybe six months into, the, into uh, the opportunity, as I was walking out, you have a chance to walk out with the inmates because they go back to their cells. He said, you know, I just want to tell you, um, if I had known you back then, I don't think I would be here. And I haven't thought about that in a while until I wrote that chapter in the book. Um, but that is something when we think about giving back. The only thing I gave back was my experience and my time. Um, there was no money involved. I didn't give him a job. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't give him a house or car or anything like that. But what I gave him was my time, a voice, you know, and that is what he needed to feel full again. Um, and I think we don't realize that our words, our actions, our experiences, the way that we give have the ability to fill people up, even if it's not those material things that we often think about as giving. Um, so that was a pretty powerful moment. And I ended up staying, you know, I, I don't often say I can't wait get, to get back to prison, but, uh, you know, knock on wood, but, you know, getting back in there and being watched the growth 
um, you know, former Crips and Bloods sitting there having conversations. And the only reason they were against each other was rejection or lack of guidance or um, it, they felt connected because violence connected them. Um, but when they realized that their stories connected them and peace and harmony and support and um, compassion can also unite them, it changed the entire energy on the yard. Uh, and we went from people not wanting to be a part of it to hundreds of applications wanting to be a part of something. Um, and they saw it. I mean, you, it was still, you know, when you walk out on the yard, it's still blacks, Hispanics, white. It is still as segregated as can be when you walk on that yard. This was the first time that they set a program. Actually, you saw mixed races in one room with respect and honoring one another. Um, it was a crazy powerful experience in that sense so um yeah for those of listening that have ever wanted a transformational experience go volunteer to prison it will uh it will change your life on many many levels yeah that's so incredible the experience that you had and when i read your story there was a insight or perspective that came to me that i share with people often and your story just you just exuded it so much in in the writing. People are not their behavior and people are not the labels we put on them. And I find that so often, whether it be, you know, somebody might place the label criminal or prisoner or homeless person or whatever else. And it could be, it could be a political term. It could be anything. It could be a derogatory term, but we put the label and then, like you said, the words you use create the house that you live in, that happens quote. Same idea. The words you use to describe your experience become your experience. So if I label somebody as, let's say, criminal, my experience of them is filtered through the lens of that yeah. word. Okay. And so when you went on to the prison yard, if we have that label, you don't see these people as people. You don't see these people as sons and daughters and husbands and wives and fathers and mothers. You don't see these people as, like I said earlier, just like me. You don't see these people as just like you in the sense that they've done some challenging things and you've done some challenging things. And I think in a previous conversation, actually, you had mentioned the only difference is they got caught. They got caught. <laughs> and, it's like, so, and so it's like from that headspace, you see in the example like you did with that facilitation that you did, there's this mutual respect there's this love for one another there's this coming together this unification where people that when they're outside of prison and they're not thinking about what you're facilitating they're like at war with each other potentially but when they come together and they realize oh wait you experienced that i've experienced that and it's like and then like the vulnerability side of it you know what was that like for you and then i share what it was like for me and we realize we're both going through some of the same stuff and just because we identify with a certain group or a certain color or a certain religion or a certain whatever, <clears throat> still the same. Well, it was really cool, uh, just to wrap up some of that prison stuff. Was we, I mean, to hear laughter, they said also too, to hear such laughter. But, you know, there's some guys in there that have been literally together for 20 plus years in that prison. And they would share a story and the, they would look at each other and go, how the hell did I not know that about you, right? It's like, so even the dialogue of, of being able and allowing storytelling, uh, we ended up doing more of a storytelling workshop further out because they asked for it, right? They went from like being petrified of, of talking 
to, can you please bring in a storytelling workshop so that we can get better at it? And I was like, I mean, that, that in itself, but when we're not, when we don't grow up with the tools and the skills of learning how to do that, we, you know, we, we, it's a, it's a, it's something that's in us that we all have the ability to do, but we don't know how to tap into it. And the moment that you can t- you know, tap into that and show people how to do it, whew, it's uh it's fun. Yeah. There's another part of your chapter that, st- that stood out to me. Can you talk about the distinction between following your heart's purpose versus following the next shiny object and kind of what that means to you? I think we're, and I'm trying to figure out, um, you know, when we're, growing up sometimes when we see the next great equate it to uh like maybe christmas to a certain degree like where each christmas you wanted that next new thing like the next new toy one year it was this and the next year it's this and it's like you forget about the value of the last thing and you're on to the you're on to the next thing and are you really excited about it because it makes you feel good or are you excited about it because you have it and somebody else doesn't um, and there's this idea around attachment to animate objects versus seeing the value of the inanimate or the things that you can't see. And what I mean by that is I spent the majority of my career thinking, oh, I want to work on that account. That account's going to give me incredible on my resume. Or, oh my gosh, if I had an opportunity to work with that person, that then I would be really happy. And it's always like looking and searching and seeking for things that were based on maybe false pretenses or maybe um, um, more surface-based things. But underneath it all, I, I I didn't care about it as much, as much as the perception of somebody else seeing that I was working with that individual or doing that kind of a thing uh, to build a resume. And nowadays it's the, it's the LinkedIn page. But for me, I had to strip away all of the things that weren't making me happy, which were the shiny objects, And realizing that the thing that was least polished was me. And I polished it with finding things that meant something to me. Um, But we're never taught that business and passion can sometimes actually be one and the same. Um, And I think for so long, um, and I I find this a lot with my attorney friends, with my um, uh, Wall Street friends. I have three friends that worked um, in Wall Street right off of, um, right out of college. Uh, one of them passed away uh, in the North Tower. Uh, another one suffered a heart attack at the age of 42. And the third one said, I'm out. I, I can't do this anymore. And now he's a volunteer firefighter. Um, we get into these things where it's this trajectory of what we think is going to be the shiny life and realizing that we're completely empty on the inside, which is really the greatest shine that you can have. Um, so when I talk about that next shiny thing, it's following the path that we feel like we have to follow oftentimes under the expectations of others uh, and really focusing on what needs to be shiny is, is the inside of us. And the moment that I shifted the perspective of where the shine needs to be, um, that changed everything. And all of a sudden the shiny objects became things that I never even realized were right in front of my face. Um, so I, that's kind of the way that I look at it. It's, it's, it's the intention behind it versus um, um the uh the uh the short-term gratification of of the other things it reminds me of that quote you said let go to let in it's like you let go and you see in front of your face the whole time 
those are the, it's funny. There's the shiniest things that are actually you want in your life are actually right in front of you, but yet you're still trying to like, eh, turn down the light. I need to go over here because it's shinier over here. It's crap. It's crap. <laughs> I tell you. And so, you know, the foundation Tucker of this podcast, you know, it's called transformation starts today. And the foundation is to help people create an extraordinary life without regret. If you were advising anyone listening on how you have found to do that, to create that kind of life, what would you share? I always, I always encourage people to audit where they're at in life. Um, are there things that demand more of your time that shouldn't be? Um, make a column. What I need in my life, what I don't need in my life anymore, right? We focus more sometimes on the things that we don't need than the things that we actually do need. There's that letting go, letting in concept, right? And sometimes that takes that vulnerable bone, that courageous voice to make a few changes. Um, if you're not fulfilled, you're not happy and you're not feeling, um, I especially as a, as, a, as a male in my 40s, yes, we do go through hormonal changes, by the way, you know that. Um, we start to reevaluate what's important and what's making us happy. Um, and we're not following it, especially men. We're not following it. Um, we, we neglect it, we ignore it and we kind of, you know, pursue the path that we think that we're expected to take, um, audit yourself, you know, do a, do a happiness audit. You know, what are the things that really work? What are the things that aren't working? If there are things that you can change to make those things work, great. If they're still not going to work for you, find a way to get rid of them. That mental weight loss, that other thing that you need to get rid of is going to make you a hell of a lot stronger. Um, I realized when I started to do the things that worked as things that didn't work, the list over here was a lot longer than the things that were working. And the things that were over here on this list were taking way more of my time. So part of it really is understanding that happiness audit and really seeing where, you know, where things need to change. The second thing is find out um, the stability of your own relationships. Do you have an ability to have a confidant or a tribe, an inner circle that you can connect with to be able to share and grow. Um, I find the more that we, sometimes when we get older, we, we shy away from a few things and I'm all about, you know, find people that are really gonna lift you up. Um, I didn't have a lot of those people. Um, I have those people now. So audit your friends, audit your relationships, look at, you know, what's, you know, who are those people that if you really needed someone you would call and they pick up the phone. Um, Having gone through what I went through, I have a Rolodex of 50 people that I know right now who have been through what I've been through. If I call them, they'll pick up the phone. I have people that I've known for my entire life that won't do that. Hmm. Um, find the people that are willing to pick up the phone. Because uh, if you don't have any of those people, find them. Um, and then just, I always say, just go through and reprioritize. Give yourself uh, your own... Um, annual meeting and you think about these public companies that meet with the shareholders and you know that executive review find a time each year to evaluate what you're going through again what's working what's not working um i also have my own personal board of directors um i have three people that i lean on uh one that's a family member one that's i've worked with for years and one that's a friend um that you can always lean on that you know that if you have a problem just like any Company would go to the board of directors and find out, you know, what it is that can be changed. Sometimes it's shining the light back on you. Sometimes it's, you know, great in terms of problem solving. Um, 
So that's another thing I do is I have that personal board of directors. Um, and then at the end of the day, don't be afraid. And this is bottom line. If the words you speak become the house you live in, evaluate the words that you're speaking. Um, if you need more in the area of positivity, focus on that. If you need, if, if there's something on your chest that you need to get, get out, get it out. Um, but there's a reason why, um, for me at the age of 40, I was able to reinvent, not because of money, not because of, um, people that were giving me, you know, handouts, nepotism, anything like that. It's simply, I stripped myself, just like Shaky says, I stripped myself of everything and I started to fill myself with something. Um, and that's where I think this is, is a great place to start. I know that's a long way to look at it, but it really, it's, it's a, it's a self audit. Um, and you, you can't, you have to do it for yourself. Nobody else can do that for you. I think there's amazing suggestions that I hope everyone takes to heart and actually does, you know, it really takes a lot of what we spoke about today and puts it into practice. So for example, you have your confidants, you have your board of directors, you have your people that you turn to and something's not working the way you would like it to. And you have the vulnerability and the willingness to share the low you're willing to share. Hey, this is my challenge. This is where I'm afraid of. This is what's going on. What do you think? Or is there a suggestion that you have? And like we said before, if I want to receive authenticity, vulnerability, give it first. And in this example, yeah, yeah. nobody can help me if they don't know I'm struggling. And yeah. so if I reach out to these people, then I can get the help that I really would love. And so that was the first part. And just that second part about the audit, you know, I have people do something similar. And in addition to what you suggested, you can make a column, two columns, energy givers and energy drainers. It yeah. could be people, it could be situations, it could be tasks and jobs that you think you have to do, whatever that is. But every day, do what you can to eliminate the energy drainers and do what you can to amplify the energy givers. And it sounds so simple, but like we said earlier, in the beginning of our, of our conversation, Tucker said, the only thing that had to change at 40 was everything. So you might have a list on the energy drainer side that goes multiple pages <laughs> and you might have one thing on the energy giver side, but now day by day, you have one or two less on the energy drain and one or two more on the energy give, but you do that over time. There's that Lao Tzu quote, the journey of a thousand miles begins, begins with a single step. Same yeah. idea. After a week, a month, a year, a decade, that list is completely flipped. And now your energy givers is so amazingly broad. Like you just said, there's 50 people right now in that Rolodex that you could call that would answer the phone. Now, maybe when you were 40, maybe there was three people of those 50 that you either knew or you had developed that level of relationship with that you are, excuse me, that were already in your life. But over time, now you're at 50. And then 10 years from now, it'll be at 112 or whatever it is, you know? And when we realize just because I'm where I'm at now, doesn't mean this is where I'm going to stay. But- yeah. There is a cause and effect to it. I have to be that change I want to see. I have to yep. go first. I have to be willing to put myself out there. And so a part two to that question, if our conversation today was your last opportunity to share your message, to share what you know to be true in your heart with our listeners, what would you want to leave people with? I know we've, we've kind of said it, but I'm going to reiterate it. Please. Our failures don't define us. How we respond to them define us. And those failures become part of your comeback. And the only thing that we can do to keep what we have is to give it away. 
And if you can find a way to make that equation work in your life, I rarely use the word guarantee, but I can guarantee that will give you clarity and at least a roadmap, a beacon, a North star to follow. If you've ever been lost in life, it'll give you some sort of a roadmap in that, that North star. Um, and that's what I live by each day. Wonderful. Wonderful. And so as we wrap up, could you share with us something that comes to mind when I ask, what is the biggest decision or biggest risk that you've ever taken or made that you're deeply grateful for and why it was a turning point for you? Um, I've, I've actually, I, I kind of touched on it, but it was the decision on December um, 14th, 2015. Um, I had the, the decision to make either to die or to live. And the only way that I was going to be able to live, like I said, was to change everything, but was to raise my hand and ask for help. That's mm -hmm. the first time that in my life that I really felt courageous enough to raise my hand and ask for help. And I think that was literally the defining moment of my life. You know, there's a perspective that I love to share with people, this idea that courage doesn't mean you're fearless. Courage means you're afraid but you do it anyway. You yeah. know, fear is required to have courage. And so yeah. what a beautiful answer to be with. I was courageous enough to ask for help. Yeah. And, you know, courageous, you could equate. I was strong enough to ask for help. And we said earlier, a lot of people have associated vulnerability, or in this case, like asking for help as some sign of being less than or weakness but the reality is nobody does things by themselves. People who say, oh, I'm self-made. There's that expression, you're standing on the, sh the shoulders of giants. You know, you've got so many people that have assisted you along the way. Even if it was negative influences teaching you what not to do, you yeah. had immense help along the way, as we all have. And we're all here to help and support each other. And yeah, I always, I always say, too, that, um, you know, asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It just means I have a mission that's so big that not one person can do it on, on their own. Mm. And, um, you know, just to reframe, I mean, again, reframing some of those things that, um, where, you know, we since society, we've kind of, you know, groomed some of those ideas to be, you know, signs of weakness, just changing the narrative. Um, yeah. and we can all do that. There's a perspective that I've heard that so similar to what you just said, you know, it's like asking for help means that I value where I'm headed more than my own ego and if we come from that space you know there's with relationships i often share this concept people say you can be happy or you can be right <laughs> and it's like you know with that in mind yeah. it's like with that relationship with your ego yeah. i can be happy in the sense that i actually create the life that i dream of which requires let's say asking for help along the way yeah. or i can be right in quotes where i don't need anybody i'm not going to ask for help but then i don't get where i want to be yeah, you get to decide, you know, which one are you going to pick? And the good news is that regardless of what you've chosen up until this moment, because you might have made that choice a thousand times in the area of being right, yeah. you can change it from this moment forward. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So what is it now that you're either working on or working towards that's exciting you, Tucker? Um, I think, um, you know, really, it's I've been able to grow a business where I get to work with, you know, thought leaders and people that are just impact driven. I mean, we, we were contributors to that book for a reason. 
um, people that look for more heart-centered leadership and help them articulate a mission and create an architecture, a roadmap to, to make it happen. Um, and that's what I do um, with a few clients at a time, whether it's through public speaking or leadership training or just coming in and, and helping them get clarity on what their mission is. Um, it comes in all shapes and sizes and forms. Um, and that's what I love. Every day is different. Um, and every capacity in which I work with people is different, um, which really for 15 years of my life was so formulaic that, I mean, talk about complacency. I, I couldn't find an ounce of excitement in it. And now every day, I mean, uh, you know, having worked with inmates, I've, I've worked, worked with porn addicted rap worked with people who were, you know, survived suicide attempts. I'm working with, um, you know, functional health medicine practitioners that are changing the way we look at medicine. Um, like every day is just so incredibly different. Um, and that's what I love. Um, heart-centered leadership and helping people use their stories, um, you know, for, for more purpose-driven business. And it's, it's awesome. I can tell. <laughs> I can see it all over your face, man. And so how can our listeners learn more about you, connect with you if they want to work with you? If there's anything that's going on right now that you'd like to offer, please, the stage is yours. Uh, yeah, no, I always say um, I, I start with one conversation, um, you know, just a, a discovery call. Uh, you can go to Tucker Stein, which is S-T-I-N-E dot com uh, and go on the contact and, you know, we can talk. Uh, you can also do that through LinkedIn. You just uh, search for Tucker Stein and LinkedIn. And I'm there. Those are those are the two best ways to get in touch with me. And I'm happy to have a conversation and, um, you know, start a different kind of journey or a dialogue. And if if all that you need to do is change everything, I can show you how to do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's such a great line. Oh, man. And so I will have all the links to connect to Tucker in the show notes. And we, we've referenced a few times, you know, the book that we co-authored. If anyone's interested yes. in taking, checking out, it's called Leaders with a Heart. You find it on Amazon. It's a light blue cover, and our mutual looks like looks like this. <laughs> For anyone on video, that is the picture. And uh, the primary author that you'll find is our mutual friend Payman Lorenzo. He'll be the one that it'll pop up on the Amazon search link. But check it out. It's a beautiful read with a lot of heart-centered heart entrepreneurs, as Payman likes to call us, who are really wanting to make a difference in the world and they're doing what they can to make that happen. And so this has been such a privilege to have you here, Tucker. Thank you so much for oh, taking the time. I'm so glad we connected. I'm so glad you asked me to be a part of this. And uh, any day, I mean, I could talk to, to you for hours, but uh, I know time is limited, but this has been really special. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And everyone who tuned in, thank you for spending the time with us, your time, your energy, your attention. It's your most valuable assets. And I don't take it lightly that you're here with us. I know Tucker doesn't either. If this resonated with you, First and foremost, please share it. You know, there might be people, I, something there might, I know there are people out there who are going to benefit so much from what Tucker shared. And I can't wait to re-listen to this several times because he dropped some golden nuggets that will <laughs> be for the rest of my life. And I know it'll benefit the rest of you as well. If this resonated as well, please leave a review, whether it's Spotify, Apple, YouTube comment, whatever it is, wherever you're tuning in, it helps other people go, you know what? This is something I want to check out. And you never know the ripple effect it could have. You know, you leave a review and that changes somebody's life because they check it out and they go, they go down the rabbit hole <laughs> and they see how deep it goes. And so before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to say, Tucker? I'm just, I encourage everyone to, uh, um, you know, learn to tell a story and learn it to be about yourself and uh, don't be afraid to share it because somebody else out there needs it. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
So as I said at the beginning, my life's work is to help leaders, champions, and high performers experience more happiness, peace, and fulfillment as they create an extraordinary life without regret. If there's anything you're going through right now, challenges around your business, your mindset, your relationships, happiness, health, spirituality, it's that full spectrum of the human experience. If you'd like some support with that and you want to have a conversation, you can find me at jamilsayage.com. I'll put the link to that in the show note as well. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast, so there's plenty of other episodes with incredible guests that I strongly encourage you to tune into. And there's content I've been putting out since uh, 2015, I believe, on social media. Instagram is at Dr. Jamil Sayaj, DR, and then my name. Facebook and LinkedIn is just Jamil Sayaj. There's about eight, 900 pieces of content, videos, blogs, little quotes, things that you can consume quickly that can make a big difference in your life. That'll be in the show notes below. Yeah, I've called the, I called the podcast Transformation Starts Today because I found that most people's favorite day to change their life is tomorrow. And that's why they stay stuck. But you can be different. You can take what Tucker and I have discussed today and you can say, you know what? That's me right there. And I can do something about that. And I can only do something about it right now. Tomorrow is only going to exist in your imagination. Yesterday only exists in your memory. You have right now, you have this moment. That's the only time you're ever going to be able to change your life. I highly encourage you to, to do that today and you'll be happy you did. Sending you all so much love and blessings. And I'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thank you for being with us today. If this conversation served you, it would mean a lot if you left a review and shared this with anyone who may benefit. An extraordinary life without regret is available to you now. Choose it. It's your time.